Good afternoon. This is Jim Coburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and blog. We would like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today is March 28th. And Andy, it's been a little while since we had our last podcast. I, I think we should start with the uh, uh, Russian oil in the marketplace. What do you think? That's probably a good place to start. I think our last podcast was the day before the invasion. So right. uh, a lot has happened since the invasion. And uh, I'm sure our, our listeners have been following uh, closely uh, on many fronts, including the oil front. Um, oil prices have traded, it's unbelievable, in the last four or five weeks, has traded between 92 to uh, 130. Volatility market is, is just so volatile. Jim, what, what was the high on, uh, on vol in, well, in March? In the, in the front month, the um, implied volatility settled over 100%. That was on the uh, March 7th day, you know, when we had that, it was the high, it was the high of the move, but we settled on the lows. So, so it probably even, it probably traded even higher than that. It was interesting that day, the second month uh, had, had, had made its high the Friday previous. So on that big day up, we did, we did see uh, eventually a lot of profit taking in the uh, call, uh, call side of the market. But yeah, that was it. Got over 100. Uh, percent Compare that to Gulf War Gulf War One, where the second nearby was over 120. percent So that was a, you know, long time ago, different situation. But yeah, it's a, it's still around 70, 75 percent for the first two months. Now those are high numbers when you consider uh, how high prices are. It's hard to maintain that vol, you know, unless unless there's a war going on, which is where we are. Yeah, right. which is where, which, right, yep. which is where where we are, and I think uh, we're recording this on uh, March twenty eighth, and uh, today was was a was a good point to to look at because on Friday night the market looked so bullish, closed on the highs, uh, a lot of concern about the uh, Houthi attacks uh, on the Saudis. Uh, obviously, on, on a lot of supply fronts, uh, which we will go into uh, in detail. And, you know, it, it looked as though Monday we'd be a lot higher. And uh, we opened five, six dollars lower. We get down eight dollars. And, um, you know, if I was a betting man, there's no, I would not be betting on uh, the market down eight dollars today. But I think it's part and parcel of the, um, you know, what, what we're seeing in trade and how difficult it is to, uh, to trade this market, Jim. Um, yeah. In, 
in every way, it's uh, it's very difficult. It's a, it's it's quite untradeable. But um, Andy, a lot of uh, I guess the IEA and a lot of other people are looking at three million barrels of per day of Russian oil uh, that will be taken off the market. Can you talk about that number and what you think about it and where you come out? Yeah, you know, one of the reasons why it's it's so has become so difficult to trade is these uh, supply and demand numbers are, um, you know, almost impossible to, to track. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty on, on uh, both sides. Jim, you know that uh, my whole career has been spent as a uh, barrel counter and uh, at ah. the Commodity Research Group, you know, we really pride ourselves on our, uh, on our numbers. And I, I think, you know, I, I think we've been pretty good both at, uh, you know, throughout our, both of our careers uh in in trying to barrel count and, um, I, I would just say andy i would just say my career has been spent period <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead sorry <laughs> you're still going yeah still going you, 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 we may be wasting assets but i think we're still assets we're 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 decent we're of some of your options yes. yeah 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 we're decent of some we haven't expired yet no but um getting back to the the numbers, yeah, the IEA threw uh, three million barrels a day out. I, I, I think they're high. You know, the numbers that, that we've been able to, that I'm, we've been able to work out for April is, I think it's closer to 2.3 to 2.4 million barrels a day. And, and the IEA said from April going forward, because uh, in March, a lot of the supply coming out of Russia was still coming because they, they were all, a lot of it was contracted barrels. It's not to say that none of it had been disrupted, but uh, there, there was still a good amount of, of supply coming out. So for uh, April, we're looking we're working at around two three to two five, and then as we head into May and June, uh, moving into you know closer to two million barrels a day of uh, disrupted, and that's both on crude and refined products. Uh, what has to happen here is the flows have to normalize somehow. And we think they, we think they will, but we think it's gonna be, you know, later in the, you know, sometime into the third and into the fourth quarter and supplies will probably normalize at a loss for Russia of uh, about 1.5 million barrels a day. Uh, almost certainly Asia is going to pick up some uh, extra supply. It looks like unless the, the atrocities grow greater than they already have been, it looks like uh, the EU uh, and Germany in particular is going to continue to take barrels out of the um, friendship pipeline, uh, the Jerusalem pipeline, but I'm, I still can't, I still call it the friendship pipeline. Uh, so that, that oil is going to flow. Seaborne oil is going to be disrupted, no question. There, there's, as, as we know, there's a de facto embargo and an official embargo from the United States and from uh, the UK. So, you know, working all this out is really difficult. You know, we, we, you could look at uh, where the premiums and the discounts are in the, on the physical market. Uh, and try to figure it out, but that's uh, basically what our uh, what our best guesses are. 
I think that, you know, as we head into the third, some of these barrels will uh, probably go, go into storage. What's problematic for the Russians, of course, is as their exports are reduced, their, their production ultimately, you know, storage will, will get filled and their production is ultimately have, is going to have to go down. And uh, they're just now recovering from the cuts they made in uh, 2020 after the, after the price collapse. So I think the, the one thing the Russians really don't want to do is uh, see their production go down. But I think that that's going to be a uh, inevitable, inevitable event. So Andy, that's, um, you're talking about say one and a half down the road, say two and a half more in April. Um, right. And that's, and you're talking about a, a total market of about a hundred million ish. Right. So um, where, how do you make up those barrels? Like where, it's, it's certainly not impossible in the intermediate term, you know, short term, it, it's, you know, it's going to be tough making that that big of a supply up but in the inter in the intermediate term I, I I do expect that there's going to be another release out of the uh, out of the reserves and uh, the last release was 60 the administration is uh, indicating it could be even higher but uh, let's say another 60 million barrels are, are released uh, I know that some of the banks have been poo-pooing that. Uh, but 60 million barrels over uh, a quarter or over four months, you know, that, that's a decent supply number. So there's certainly that. And let's look at, uh, and I think that non-OPEC in the second quarter uh, will probably eke out, uh, you know, it might be able, again, second quarter might be able to eke out uh, another 0.3 to maybe 500,000 barrels a day extra. And finally, there's a demand side, Jim. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, it, it looks as though as we head later into the second and third quarter, uh, Russia will be in a, in a recession. Ukraine, unfortunately, has, has lost its, uh, its demand. And uh, China, uh, as we know, as of today, they've locked down Shanghai for eight days. So we, we are going to lose demand out, out of China. Uh, and finally, you know, a lot of um, a lot of economists uh, at the banks, and uh, I think we'll probably get some new things out of, out of the IMF coming out of the IMF, OECD, and I suspect they're going they're going to reduce global growth. So we're gonna we're gonna lose some demand just out of just out of that. So all told, I, I think you know you're you're looking at maybe. Um, a million and a half being re being reduced, being made up sometime later in the second quarter, and possibly in the third quarter. Uh, again, we, we make up another million and a half. U.S. production is going to grow. So actually, you know, you you look at these balances going forward into the second half. They're not so awful. Uh, in fact, you know, they're pretty well balanced. Balanced or. Is, or yeah balanced or surplus you know we, we could and let's not forget the iranian deal i was going to say you uh, you didn't mention iran and you didn't even mention opec so well we're, yeah opec is also yeah this these are also all in my own numbers right 
OPEC is going to, uh, you know, is going to continue to increase production. I think that was always kind of, that was always sort of baked in to the, the numbers, a, a 300,000 right. barrel a day increase from, uh, from OPEC. And then in, in May, some of the allocations are going to increase based on one of, based on the deal they made last year. So we, we could see even more out of, uh, we could see even more out of OPEC than, you know, than these numbers assume. And talking about OPEC, you know, the Iranian deal is being, still being negotiated. You know, a lot, all the diplomats are indicating that it is close, but they still have some big stumbling blocks. And whether those are geopolitical, well, part of it is geopolitical, because the Iranians want the U.S. to remove the Revolutionary Guard from their list of terrorists, and uh, you know the U.S. is balking at that. So, you know, I, I think the deal is going to get done. It's just a matter of when. And uh, looking at our, you know, balances, given our best guesses for OPEC, no, no increase. You know, no Iran deal for now, but, you know, the, our balances are actually showing some surpluses, Jim, right across the, right across the board. So um, each for the, re for the rest of the year, um, which is kind of surprising when you, uh, when you work them out. So OPEC is looking at your numbers and they're saying, you know, <laughs> yeah, they probably are, but you know, I've cut demand. I've cut right. non-OPEC, right. you know, I've added some uh, reserve battles, uh, barrels, and, you know, the, the, the numbers are what they are, but, you know, I, they could be off by a, a half million, million, two million, um, you know. Of course. That, and they're, that's a dilemma. You know, they could be, they could be way off. And, um, you know, I think, uh, and why it's so difficult to trade. Uh, also, we, we, you know, we have to note that inventories are really low. So all of this, is coming on the backdrop of, of very low inventories. Um, the IEA is saying that inventories are 300 million barrels below the the 15 to 19, I think is, is the average. I mean, they're, they're, they're much too low, historically low, way too low, yeah. uh, whatever you want to call it. I saw um, a number um, where, where U.S. inventories are 13% below normal for this time of year. Does that sound right? Yeah. U.S. Yeah. inventories are really low. Global inventories are, are really low. So I think the key, uh, you know, if we're wrong and, you know, certainly we could be way wrong, as I said, on any single number. But the one thing that if, if you're wrong either way and, and the market continues to be in, in deficit, you know, we could get some rip-roaring squeezes anywhere at any right. time. Right. Uh, I mean, you and I have been through some unbelievable squeezes at Cushing, you know, in the, as we head into the summertime. Yes. Um, April, May, May, Junes, you know, and I think that the, the key is that the market is disloc. you know, we're in dislocation. Flows are, there are flows changing and will continue to change. So when you're in this period of massive dislocation, 
you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna go from you know could go from shortage to surplus right back to uh, shortage. This unbelievably something happened where we we shipped the middle distillates out of out of the Northeast to Europe. It went from <laughs> us to them. Yeah, that never happens. No, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So trade. Yeah, know, the, the trade balances. I mean, uh, trade patterns are shifting all over the place. Right? Yeah. So it means, you know, means big dislocation. And we've seen big backwardation. I, I mean, we've seen massive backwardation, certainly in the on the um, Brent side, on the, uh, I mean, gas oil, when hundreds of dollars backwardated, heating oil, you know, was close to 40 cents a gallon backwardated. So we've seen these already. And I think, uh, you know, as, as I've tried to explain here, that you know, the next two months look really, you know, continue to be tight. It isn't going to be till, you know, later in the second quarter, third quarter that, you know, things have a chance to normalize. So, you know, there's, there's still going to be some, you know, really interesting trading developments. Yeah. I was, you know, I was looking at uh, demand for uh, diesel for farmers and you would, you would think the incentive is for them to plant fence row to fence row uh, with the, with the prices, but you know they're I'm not sure this is going to happen in the U.S. But um, you know they talk about a shortage in fertilizer and now diesel prices are uh, through the roof. I'm just wondering is it's is that enough to reduce the amount of acreage planted? You know, again, I don't I don't know what the budgets look like or the the incentives maybe maybe. Farmers not only hedge their crops, but they hedge diesel as well. I don't know. Any, Maybe. Any, I mean, yeah. I any, don't remember. I don't remember us covering a lot of uh, farmer accounts, Jim. I know, but we did. Talk, we did talk about you know planting and harvest demand. I mean, it, oh yeah, all the time. Oh, well, it wasn't the farm. I mean, it wasn't the farmer accounts. I mean, it was the it was the dealer accounts. Right. The, yeah, right. Yeah, those we did have. So yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, it's certainly possible that it may uh, impact demand. And then, you know, the question is on refined products is, you know, what the elasticity is, is really all about, you know, particularly right. for gasoline. Right. Could you talk about producer response in the U.S.? I mean, you would think, you know, now's the time they're going to be growing like crazy and I guess there's some constraints to that. Well, they say there are constraints to that, but you know, there's been the the some of the producers have been some of the larger producers have been belly aching about uh, labor crews, you know, getting enough labor crews and sand and um, you know, and the inputs are, you know, their input because of inflation, their input input prices are way up, but. My goodness! I mean, you look yeah. at the, you look at the prices, and even the back of the curve. You know, I think yeah. there's plenty of incentive for them to uh, increase production. And I, I, you know, we we've been saying even before the evasion that we thought the EIA numbers were were too low, you know, and the and that production was going to be higher than than what they said. I mean, currently. Production is eleven uh, six. Let's say they have us. I'm look. They have us getting up to 
around 12 million in June or July. So that, that's pretty healthy. I mean, that's 400,000 barrels a day by mid-year. And then by uh, the end of the year, uh, November and December, they've got us up to 12.5, 12.6. So that's a million barrels a day by the, by the end of the year. Okay. Um, I think we could do, I think we're going to do better than that. You know, I think it's going to be another two or 300 better. I also think, you know, Canada's talking about increased production. I mean, all of non-OPEC, you know, if you, if you're a producer, you're, you're, this is, this is your environment, um, you know, just to try to increase production despite the inflation, you right. know, you've got some massive margins here. Yeah. It, it kind of, in a way, it looks like we're settling into the old oil cycle where, you know, prices run up um, or there's a, some, some, you know, either, either OPEC is keeping oil off the market or there's some shock to the system. Prices run up, they stay up for a while. We conserve, you know, using it. And then there's this massive incentive for producers to produce more. And then we start heading down the downside. Now that, that takes, you can think that through in a couple of minutes, but it takes a long time for all that to happen. So you, do you think that's kind of what is what we're seeing unfold right now? Yeah, we've lived it. I mean, <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say not. You know, because it, it, it oil since the 1860s, when we have pricing, you know, it, it, it's highly cyclical. Um, you know, just this last decade, last decade, last two years, we've seen minus 40, you know, minus 40 to plus 130. Uh, yeah. Now, those are obviously extreme parts of uh, any, any type of cycle. Right. But um, sure, we're, we'll probably be setting up for... Uh, you know, some, some weakness, some weakness ahead. But if we go back almost, you know, if we go back two years from now, you know, you had a lot of producers worrying about exit, you know, existential risk and a lot yeah. went under, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So, Again, you, you yeah, can't, I, I, you can't flick a switch and say, okay, oil prices are back. Let's just start producing like crazy. Again, it's there, there is, there's still, uh, what would you call it, PTSD from 2020, where you know they're, they're still cautious. Right, but you can, you know, the the one good thing about shale is you you know it it, it the cycle's pretty fast to from the time you put you know you you put yep. the shovel in the ground. And, yeah, you know it's quick. Uh, well, you know it it it. it it's months, you know, it's shorter than, you know, some could be even shorter than months. It's not like a longer term project where, um, yep. and I, you know, I re- really, Andy, I recall that's a good, good points. I recall just a few years ago, how the shale oil production was going to dampen volatility in the oil markets because they could react so quickly. So shut down when the prices get low and start up when the prices get high. And, um, I, I, just kind of Googled that and found some interesting studies and interesting titles of studies about how, you know, oil, oil volatility is, uh, is, is going away. And, um, you know, I think you and I have been through enough cycles, as we just mentioned, that uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't sell straddles and strangles on those studies, based on those studies. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And we, you know, we kind of lean towards. No. No. That would be a no. 
No. And, you know, the um, other the other interesting thing we've seen, you know, if you think about hedging 101, you know, you sell forward. If the price goes down, you're covered. If it goes higher, you you sold, you already contracted at a price lower than the market, but you're going to get that higher price in the cash market. So, so it's a, it's an offset. Um, only that's nice in theory, but when you go out, say a year and you have to sell, you sell crude forward and the price shoots up, you've got major margin calls on that position and you're, and you're, ca- you're not going to get that cash offset for another year. So we've, we've seen this happen with, you know, power companies in Europe even pre-war. And I think, you know, some of the oil companies, I would guess, are looking at, in this rally, are looking more at uh, buying puts as a strategy rather than selling futures because of the, you know, the known, uh, you, you, you buy a put, you know exactly how much you're paying for it, uh, no matter what happens to the price. And um, you, get, you get downside protections, not as good as protection as a futures contract, but you don't have to worry about making uh, margin calls. So I think I think um, when I when I look at the pattern in options world, you know, the the uh, market seemed to be prepared, you know, overall in general for a rally in price. We had talked about all the bullish uh, option flow we'd been seeing since the first quarter of last year, 2021. Uh, especially with those DS uh, 100 calls, and um, when this war broke out and we got a spike, uh, you saw uh, heavy volume in calls. Uh, but uh, on on that March 7th day, you actually saw open interest go down in calls. If you take Brent and WTI, there was 394,000 calls trading. Open interest went down by 9,000, and on the put side. It was 192,000, so a lot less, and 41,000 new contracts opened up. So, so you it you can kind of see that you know a market that was prepared for for fundamental reasons uh, for the market to go up, and then they got the spike, and they say, okay, we'll take that, and they got out. And at the same time, I think producers are seeing these really nice prices out on a curve, and they want to protect. Uh, uh, their expansion plans, and so instead of selling futures way out there, they're buying uh, buying puts. So it, it you know again, it's I'm looking at it from a macro you know uh, bird's eye view, not the uh, uh, I'm sure there's individual stories that are opposite of that, but that's in general what it looks like. Now what what about the speculators, Jim? The, the large funds. You think that. They're actively participating right now. You think that they just decided to shut it down? Well, we know, as you know, we we have been um, when we worked at uh, EDNF Man, we were, you know, one of the biggest uh, funds around, starting with the Mint Fund, but later on as well. And a lot of those funds had volatility kickers um, that would kick them out of the market. So so didn't matter which way price was going, uh, but when the markets got too volatile. They would kick out, and, and one of the reasons for that was they. Some of them felt they their edge was in the uh, ability to manage risk. So it was this uh, uh, uncorrelated asset idea where they're, you know, they're flipping coins, buy and sell signals in many many different markets, 
and so they're you know they're if if they're uncorrelated if they keep that uncorrelation uh, assumption intact then they can manage uh, risk better but when you get these hyper volatility markets uh, all that goes away and so um, they tend to some of them will tend to move out um, having said that uh, we did see say first quarter of last year uh, an accumulation of a huge position in the DS 22 calls, the 100 calls, open interest got over 70,000 at its peak, I believe. And now it's down to 49. So um, that, that, could have, that could have been just one speculator, but um, there's still, that's still the number one open interest contract. I'm pretty sure it's a speculator, at least one speculator. And um, there's been some liquidation in that, but not, not a lot. I mean, there's still, a lot, a lot of uh, open interest out there. So, um, so basically, to answer your question, I think I think the speculators have backed out. I just put a LinkedIn story. Uh, it was a Bloomberg story. Uh, uh, I put it up on LinkedIn where they quote our friend Ilya, who said the only people trading now are the ones that have to trade. And yeah. you know, and, and he said that that's adding to the volatility. And I, I think it, I think that's right. I think that, yeah, I think that's right too. Going back to the initial point that uh, we were talking about, you know, you look like a, a day like today, you know, yeah. you're, down, you're down $8. It's not out of nowhere. I mean, there were, there were developments, but nevertheless, you know, quite unexpected uh, yeah. after, uh, after Friday's close. Right. And I, and I think on days like that, Andy, when you were on a desk and the, and the press would call, you were, you were careful that like if the market was down $5 rather, you know, you can try to explain why it was down $5, but you didn't want to get too, too crazy because by the end of the day, it could have been unchanged or, you know, heading higher, you know? So, so it was kind of like, okay, we can find some reasons, but um, is that really what's going on? But sometimes it's just crazy volatility and we don't, we don't know, you know? Yeah. And could the market be up $8 tomorrow? Yeah. You know, certainly. it's, it certainly could. I mean, yeah. as, as we mentioned, we're, we're looking at a 90 to $130 range over the last month. Now, as you said, Jim, that's, that's, that's unsustainable. And yeah. these vols are, are high. I mean, the market uh, almost by nature has to, you know, does have to calm down uh, or doesn't, I mean, I guess, but that would be, I could, I could you know, yeah. I mean, things would really have to worsen or, or something change. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Yeah, I, I think markets, you know, despite all the uh, algos, I think they're still run by people. And people get tired. And, and you, we're seeing that right. in, in options volume. It's, um, you know, some of the days that we've had recently, like post, you know, last, last week or so, you would say, oh, is this a day, day behind? day before a holiday, they're, they're really low volume days. And I think people are just saying, you know, uh, I don't know what to do here. Um, I'm, I'm, my positions are uh, flat, so I don't have to do anything here. So I'm not going to do anything here. And uh, yeah, so, but, but, but again. And, and we, see that, we see that in the commitment of traders. You know, those right. positions have really been trimmed. And I, I think there was, uh, I think John Kemp at, at Reuters had written an article that uh, open interest in, in petroleum, all the petroleum contracts was the lowest since 2015. Yeah. And, you know, you would think, 
oh, wow, oil's really hot, you know, that open interest would be soaring. And it's, uh, you know, it's been quite the opposite. Yeah, I think uh, John Kemp uh, writes for Reuters and he puts out a, uh, an excellent summary of what's going on in the commitment of traders. And um, I, I look for that often and uh, just to give him a shout out. Yeah, but, um, he, he does. I, yeah, he does a good job. So um, I guess the next question is, Andy, is where do we go from here? And so we, we talked about through COVID how hard it was to get a handle on demand numbers. And, you know, we still have COVID out there with China. And now we have this Russian, you know, basically how much Russian oil is going to be taken off the market. Um, what is there a number out there that you do have confidence in? On, on a price basis, or just yeah, um, give me a pri- give me a price. Give me a uh, uh, to, to be perfectly honest. No, I mean I look at the balances, and I I would think, you know, some of the some of the war premium or volatility premium should should come out of it, and you know the market should start moving uh, lower. You know, under maybe even you know under a hundred that could that could happen. But as I mentioned, you know, there's so many, you know, there's so many moving pieces that are, that are so large that it's really, it's, you know, you could be wrong, you know, all uh, everywhere. So what I think, however, is that there certainly could we make new highs yeah, we could make new highs because, as I, I mentioned, you know, there with with this dislocation over the continuing into April and then into May, um, you know, there could be there could be squeezes in certain products, certain futures. We, we already had one, you know, sort of had one in heating oil and uh, and gas oil, and you know, I, I I'd really be that would not surprise me. To see something like that, it might be a short-term event, but you know, globally, it could it could happen anywhere. Yeah, I, I listen. You know, you know, if you listen to these uh, podcasts, how I I am biased towards the buy side of options. I like being able to take a position in a commodity mark, you know, commodity market with a known quantifiable risk. After Gulf War One, when the vol was up 120 at 120 percent on the second year buy. And the uh, the initial bombs dropped, and there was not a significant response from Iraq, sort of uh, as it related to the Saudi oil fields. Volatility collapsed to about eighty five percent, and we got our customers uh, to sell options. We said, "This is you know very little response. This is a market that hasn't you know should be should, vol should be a lot lower." And so we got. Uh, a few customers aggressively short and they rode it down to from 85 to about uh, like 20, 25%. So it was a huge year. I gave out a lot of uh, option trade of the year awards that year. But um, the point is I, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable suggesting something like that here. Cause it's, you know, it hasn't, there's not this one event type thing that's going to stop uh, the volatility. It may, it probably will dampen as we go on. But again, like you said, there's going to be very possible of these intermittent spikes along the way that uh, could be deadly hazardous deadly. to your, you know what, Jim? To your to trading you, health, to trading health. Yeah, I mean, it, 
I mean, you know, we're obviously, the, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a storm right now. And, you know, every now and then, if the, if the storm is, is bad enough, you get these rogue waves that come in. And, right. you know, amidst the other big waves, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's certainly possible that uh, we see one of these rogue waves come, come into and, and, you know, be hard to predict exactly where it could be. I guess you could see it coming, you know, you could see that, that wave come if you study hard enough, but uh, so, you, know, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But uh, going forward, what, what would be the most bearish case you could make, say, going in, you know, say, four or five months from now i mean iran's back on the market economy slows down what else P, you know quote unquote peace in ukraine yeah you know? peace sanctions are uh sanctions are lifted which i don't think is gonna happen yeah. anytime soon you know i don't see that happening you know i guess if sanctions are lifted and iran is back on the market and opec is increasing production you know the market could be yeah, it could easily be under 70, maybe even under, under 60. But those yeah. are, you know, those are pretty extreme circumstances, Jim. Yeah, because I, 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 what, I'm, what I'm thinking of, Andy, is that a lot of times in these backwardated markets where you'll see people uh, start to sell puts, say, a few months out. And as, the, as long as the market stays backwardated, you know, those puts are expiring worthless. And then, you know, they're, I don't want to compare traders to rats but it's like the rat experiment where they you know they hit the sugar they hit the lever and a sugar cube comes out and then within a short time they're they're banging on that lever to get all the sugar cubes out you get a trade like that that works one month then it works two months then it works three months and people start loading up on selling puts into this backwardated market and then all of a sudden it collapsed so i'm just trying to get a sense of you know, what, what it might take to get something like that happen, but it's down the road. Down the road. Yeah. So we, we will continue to have a lot to talk about over the, over the rest of the year. I mean, another incredible year. Another uh, one. Uh, yeah. We thought, folding. yeah, we thought we were getting back to normal barrel counting, but it's not. And yeah. 21 got us a little, a little bit back to normal after 20, which was also one for the books. And now we've got another one for the books two years later. Yeah, well, um, one, one last question for you, Andy, um, before we uh, cut out. And that is we, we do these podcasts oftentimes after the uh, EIA monthly report. And then sometimes after the IEA and OPEC report, this time we're doing it a little earlier you know they're they're out in a couple of weeks i guess or next week maybe and um wh what do you think the revisions what kind of revisions are they going to make to demand in their reports would you would you well would you the guess? iea already took demand down by uh a million barrels a day which we're, we're pretty close our numbers are pretty close uh to that and that's for this uh, year opec didn't opec yeah for the rest of the year opec didn't but they're gonna have to so I think we're going to see, you know, OPEC make serious downward revisions and probably the EIA who did make some revisions on production, on non-OPEC production, because oh, Russia is clearly not growing this year like everyone had expected. Right. Um, 
So, you know, they, they'll probably, all, I, I can't remember if they made downward revisions on demand or not, Jim, from in the last report, but yeah, I think they know, did. Almost certainly they're going to have to they'd play catch up if they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, Andy, we, yep. Go ahead, Andy. I think we've got to wrap it up. Sum it up. Yep. Uh, we went through a lot. So I, the only thing I have to add is if you want to get uh, a hold of me, uh, it's a LeBeau. A-L-E-B-O-W at commodityresearchgroup.com. Yes, and we'll be posting this podcast on the, our website, commodityresearchgroup.com. And also Andy and I posted on our LinkedIn uh, pages as well, which uh, seems to get a lot, of, uh, a lot of interest. Yeah, look for us on LinkedIn. Terrific. Thanks, Andy. All right, Jim.